All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Chippewa Valley Church. Thank you for joining us today for our online worship. Uh, my name is Eli. Uh, my wife and I, Ian Sun, we lead the youth and family ministry, in case you guys don't know us. And uh, just want to introduce myself. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, whether this is your first time uh, joining us for worship or, you know, the umpteenth time. Uh, thank you for being here. I hope you really get something out of it. I have the privilege of bringing you uh, the message today. Before uh, I get right into the message, uh, I just want to express, I feel like I, I have to, I need to express how much I miss you guys. I've been I've been staying in contact, phone, Zoom, text, um, and it, you know, one thing that God is using this time for, obviously I don't know everything that God's using this time for, uh, but one thing is, is it's definitely shown me the value of, of friendships and relationships and fellowship on a whole deeper level that I, I didn't even know about. Um, you know, I feel like I value those things a lot and because because God teaches me in his word, but this is just a whole nother level. And so I hope it bears fruit in my life moving forward when we are allowed to come back uh, together. The other thing I want to mention is that I am just so proud, so inspired, so uh, impressed by so many of you uh, just talking to you, reaching out to you, hearing about all the things that you guys are doing to uh, implement your your faith, implement the Bible's principles into your life, to take time to focus on the family unit and strengthen that so that you, your light can shine brighter. Uh, still sharing, you know, your your faith with your friends online, internet, S focusing on serving the community, serving the church. There's needs in the church that are that are being met um, through our through our uh, online communication system. The way that you guys have not shrunk back and allowed this time to turn into a time of, I don't know, where we just crawl into you know our own spaces and hide and live in isolation, which is you know. It's a tempting thing to do. Uh, you guys are, are letting your light shine. And because of that, we have so many people studying the Bible in the church right now. And guys, if our church is able to grow uh, in a time like this, where we're literally not allowed to be with each other physically. I mean, that is God. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit working and being with us. So I hope you feel encouraged that God is using you, that you get to be along for the ride. Uh, during this time. And God, I totally believe that's the direction that we are headed, that God is using this time for growth in our church, for growth in number and growth in character and in our in our inner selves and in our spirit. And so I uh, just wanted to say, uh, tell you, let you guys know how, how proud and, and impressed and everything that I am. I feel, I feel much uh, just affection for you. Um, and so Last time that I spoke, uh, we were in the book of Matthew. I talked about the Sermon on the Mount, which takes place in Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And so now we're going to be uh, in chapter 8. And chapter 8 really marks the beginning of uh, where, where the focus really shifts to Jesus' healing ministry. So he performs many miracles in this chapter. And in the next one, and, uh, I'm just going to recap it quickly because we can't really dive deep into all of it. But we are going to dive deep into one particular story. So uh, the way Matthew chapter 8 starts off is by Jesus healing a leper. Okay, And a leper, right, skin disease, it was, it's, it's, a, it's not a good thing. But especially at the time in Jewish thought, 
to have leprosy was to essentially be cursed with the curse of death. It's to live your entire life in isolation. So, I mean, kind of like we are, you know, a little bit right now with this whole social distancing thing. Could you imagine living your entire life that way? That that is the reality of someone with leprosy. And it's also, someone with leprosy would be continually ceremonially unclean, meaning they would not be allowed to go worship God at the temple. So, and at the time, that was where you worship God. And so could you imagine that? You're being a leper, wanting to worship God, and, and, and physically being kept from doing so. Um, and so Jesus heals this leper. And actually, not only that, Jesus touches this leper. And what touching someone with leprosy would make, typically make the person who touched them unclean, unable to worship. But when Jesus touches the leper, rather than becoming unclean himself, he makes the leper clean. And so we see Jesus fulfilling the law in this way. Um, and then next, Jesus, there's this story of the centurion and his amazing faith and how uh, he acknowledges Jesus' authority. And basically with just a word, Jesus heals his servant from, from a long distance. And that, that's like a famous story. Uh You'll, you'll hear sermons about that uh, at other times. That's why I didn't, I love that story. I'd love to talk about it, but we're going to talk about something else because you'll, you'll get to hear about that at, at some other point. Um, and then we have the, the healing of Peter's mother. And then so, so, so the Roman centurion was a Gentile. And then we have a woman who, who would have been uh, at the time a, you know, undervalued member of society, you know, Gentiles, women, and people with diseases, Okay. So immediately Jesus starts his ministry, his healing ministry, by healing all the people that you might that you might not expect him to heal. Uh, so once again, he's just kind of blowing the doors off, the expectations, the Jewish expectation of this militaristic king-like Messiah. Okay, then he has this call to discipleship. And then, then you have also the famous scene of where Jesus, uh, where the, the, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. So they're leaving Capernaum. They're going to the other side of the sea. They're actually seeking just to get away for a little bit because they've been so, so, so busy. Ministry, healing, all these things. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. This humongous storm starts. The disciples are freaking out. And Jesus is just napping. And they're like, Jesus, what, what are you doing, man? Like, we need some help here. And, you know, Jesus, of course, gets up. He just, with a word, calms the winds and the waves. And the disciples are terrified because this man just commanded the winds and the waves to stop. And so there's this, that's another just amazing story. Um, and so the story that I want to focus on today, though, is when they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they arrive in the place of what is called in your Bible, they're actually, depending on your translations, there are going to be several names that you're going to see for where they are in Matthew chapter 8. There's the, the Gergesenes, the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes, okay? And I'm going to just pull up a little map here. And I want you to look at this map, okay? And so Capernaum there is at like kind of like the tippy-tippy top. Sea of Galilee is that little, that kind of that small body of water amidst all the colors near the top of the picture. Capernaum's at the top, so they're going all the way across, and they come down to that kind of that pinkish-red area that's labeled the Decapolis, okay? And so that's where they are. They're right on the sea there, and you'll see on that map a couple of, uh, you know, places that start with the name of a G. 
And so I'm gonna I'm going over just a little bit of this geography because it's actually uh, you know there's you obviously don't need to know some of these things to understand the Bible well enough, but there's an important detail today. I think that this this will actually end up being very important. And so uh, the Decapolis was a region, a Gentile region, okay, and you have these. Uh, places that start with a G. And so more, and after all of my, uh, the research and reading that I've done, the more likely scenario is that you have these different names in, in the Bible. Uh, they're referring to the same place, but what they're most likely referring to. And honestly, I feel with certainty, I'm just not allowed to say for certain because I don't have a PhD, but they're the names of uh of people, so like the Gerasenes are is is the Gerasenes is not a place; it's a people, uh, and these are just different nicknames for the people who lived in the Decapolis region near what a larger city called Gennesaret. Okay, so just remember that uh, as we move as we get to the end of the message, Gennesaret is going to be a very important location for what we're talking about. So that's that's where they are, and they they come to this place to seek refuge. And so we enter the bizarre, it's, it's a bizarre story of the healing of the demoniac, okay? Demoniac, demon-possessed man, all right? And it's, you're going to just see, you're just going to see why there's some kind of bizarre things going on. And, and the main thing that I want us to learn from this story is that if we embrace the ways and the values of Jesus, we will bear incredible fruit that lasts. But if we do not, if we do not embrace them, we will actually drive Jesus away. You know, whether or not Jesus, uh, I guess, comes to, to use a kind of a cliche saying, comes into our life is dependent on our response. It's dependent on whether we allow him in because he calls all men to himself or do we push him away do we drive him away and that pushing away and that driving away happens with with in our mind and whether or not we align our worldview with the worldview of jesus and the worldview of the bible so i know this is totally cheating it's totally cheating but we're actually instead of reading out of Matthew 8, we're going to read from Mark chapter 5, okay? And the reason that we're going to do that, Mark chapter 5 contains the same exact story, the healing of the demoniac, but it uh, it just has a few extra details, particularly about the aftermath of this, of this scene. So I'm going to read from there. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're going to go ahead and read verse 1 through 20. We'll break it up a little bit, okay? All right, so Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 1. Uh, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to take a brief pause here to go over a couple, honest, there's some important things going on. Okay, so we have this sort of, this man who is demon-possessed, he lives, you know, demon possession is one of those things that we, we maybe don't, enc- we don't encounter that often. Um, or maybe some, some, some of you might not even believe in it, I don't know. It's a, uh, but it's definitely something that exists. It's, it's in the Bible. It's, it's definitely something that I've actually personally, uh, thank goodness I've never been possessed by a demon, but I've seen demonic activity. Okay. And I, and just many, many people, uh, that I know have also witnessed, been a part of her, you know, demonic activity. Okay. And so, but the thing I really want us to, to take away here is that we might not be as far removed as these types of circumstances as we think we might be. For example, this guy, he, he lives a tormented existence, okay? And he lives among the tombs. So he lives in a place, really a place of death, a place of isolation. Um, and also, you know, it says that he cuts himself. He's tormented night and day, crying out. He's, he's gone mad. So he, he's, he's stuck in torment and self-hatred and, and all of these things. And so a question that, you know, I just want to ask you guys this morning is, are you, are you living among the tombs? When I say that, I mean, are you, are you isolated? Are you feel like it's better to be dead than it is to be alive? Uh, I, I, a lot of, a lot of people either get to a point, a place like this in their life, or are in a place like this in in their life, and especially during a time like this in isolation, it, it, it can be easier to get to a place like this. Are you living amongst the tombs? If so, come out to meet Jesus, okay? So that's this demon, right? This demon possessed man, they come out to meet Jesus, and, and I love how they just it, they, it, this demon is so, this demon possessed man is so strong, you know, chains can't subdue him, nothing. And he comes in and just gets on his knees before Jesus and, you know, basically have mercy on us. Okay. And he says, have you come before the appointed time? And so essentially what the, what the demon possessed man is saying is, is, is it time for God to destroy all the demons? Because that's, what's going to happen. Uh, on the day of judgment, uh, when Christ returns, the, the demons are all going to be destroyed or subdued. They're just not going to have the power that they have now at the very least. And so what this suggests is that they, they know exactly who Jesus is. And they also know that Jesus has existed since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the universe. So Jesus has always been a part of God's plan. So are you here? We need to come to Jesus before the appointed time. Because when the appointed time arrives, it will then be too late. And so the demons, they acknowledge who Jesus is. And they, after seeing him from afar, and then they just run straight up and they get on their knees. You know, even the demons believe in God. James 2.19 makes a statement about you believe that God is one? Good. So do the demons. And so in the biblical context, 
faith and belief, they, they mean the same thing. They mean a trust. Uh, but in, in today's culture, to believe a lot of times means an intellectual acceptance of a fact. And that's really, you know, if, if that's the type of, right, the de these demons, they have, they intellectually accept that Jesus is the son of God. But what have they decided to do about it? Okay, so their belief goes about as deep as, it doesn't go very deep. Okay, and so it's easy in this culture, because this is the type of belief that is so commonly associated with, with Christianity, is this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, he was real, he he lived, he died, whatever. But that's that even the demons believe that. Is your theology better than that of a demon? I hope so. And I know for many of you it is. Alright, so let's go ahead and keep on reading. We're gonna read verses eight through seventeen now. So for he was saying to him, This is Jesus speaking, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it describe, seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So now the, the story escalates and the, the demons, uh, they ask for permission to go into these pigs. And, you know, oddly enough, why does Jesus grant their request? And... You know, actually, before I get to that, the, the fact that it says there's about 2,000 pigs and that all of them rushed down into the sea most likely means that this man had at least 2,000 demons inside of him. Okay? And a legion, as some of you may know, is referred to a, a troop of Roman soldiers that would number about 6,000 soldiers. So, we don't know exactly how many demons are, but it sounds like there is a lot. And... Why would Jesus grant the request of the demons? You know, I've been thinking about this, and actually, this encouraged me so much uh, this past week. Because the only logical thing I can think of is that Jesus is just so merciful and honestly took pity on the tormented existence of these demons that he granted their request. That's really the only thing that makes sense to me. And... The other thing, too, that's just so strange about this is that that would have a huge impact on this community to a whole herd. Like it says in verse 14, the herdsmen rushed to tell everyone what was going on. They just lost their job. I mean, 2,000 people, like, you know, economically, this would be devastating for 
several families, you know, maybe, maybe an entire village. Why would Jesus grant a request to a demon that would inflict this much damage on people? And the thing that also too, once again, with this is that the only logical conclusion that I, I think that I can come to is that Jesus, well, he, he wouldn't grant the request if he didn't know the outcome. So he knew the outcome would be that all the pigs would, would die. And so what it must be is that Jesus counted that cost. He said, would I rather deliver this man or have these thousands of pigs die and this, you know, this village be economically devastated? What would I, what would I rather do? And Jesus chose to deliver this man. Now, what does that say about Jesus? That says that Jesus has a different value system than what we commonly have here in America. And then we see that the people in this region do not share that value system because they are afraid and they beg Jesus to leave. I mean, the Son of God, if, if the Son of God showed up in your life, I mean, would you, would you beg him to leave? It's... And here's, and I think, I think this is why is that they valued, there's three P's I'm going to call them. They, the power of Jesus is one, scared them. Okay. And, and, and oftentimes power, uh, authority comes with power. You know, we don't like the idea of obedience. We don't like the idea of authority figures having authority over us telling us what to do but bottom line is in the worldview of the bible and in jesus jesus is perfectly submissive to the father the father has authority over him and he's perfectly submissive to that you know regardless of whether we acknowledge it or not jesus has complete authority in our lives and, and jesus is extremely merciful because he doesn't lord that authority over us he has it, but he doesn't use it against us. He doesn't use it to manipulate us. So the power of Jesus really scared them, the authority of Jesus, okay? The other thing is uh, the unpredictability that comes with that kind of power and that kind of authority. You know, what if, what for those of you who are out there thinking about becoming a disciple, about giving your life to Jesus, that kind of power what, what is going to happen with your life if you make that decision? Seriously, what is going to happen? Hey, are you going to be, could it result in you relocating? Could it result in you changing jobs? Could it result in you being single for the rest of your life? Could it result in all these, these things maybe that are against the vision that you have for your life? You know, the unpredictability, don't, don't let that scare you because you're in good hands. You're in good hands when you're in the hands of Jesus. And lastly, possessions. You know, clearly these people valued their possessions. Um, but obviously too much because they drove away the Son of God, the Savior, for the sake of their possessions. You know, possessions, right... Uh, isn't just material things. It's it's like that concept when Jesus says, you cannot serve two, two masters, for you cannot 
uh, serve God and money. And the word that God, that we translate into money, uh, is, is kind of better, better translated mammon. It's just not a concept that we really, is common today. But what mammon means is, it's this idea of, of everything that we possibly could possess. So, you know, there are different things that we can possess outside of material things is we can possess a certain reputation. We can possess the praise of men. We can possess the approval of others. There's anything that we are really after that we deeply desire to possess would fall under the category of mammon, of possessions. And we cannot let the, the value of possessions be more important than the value of Jesus. And so we got to ask ourselves the, these P's and how they're affecting the way that we look at Jesus. Another thing that I just want to briefly mention is that these people clearly were afraid. It says that. And so were the disciples just before this, when they were, when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, right? And so faith and fear both tend to ask similar questions in, in terms of how the question begins, right? And that's what if, right? I kind of brought up some what if scenarios earlier with, you know, what if, what, what's, what if you can't predict what God is going to do with your life next? So fear asks, what if, you know, what if God makes my life miserable? <laughs> and faith asks, well, what if God uses my life to do great things. Um, you know, when, when we're, re it's really hard to sometimes, especially in, um, in certain places and in, in our culture, it can be really difficult to share our faith because it's, it's just more and more being looked down upon uh, and, and more and more viewed as something that, you know, only stupid people believe or, or something like that. You know, what if this person rejects me or you know, the, the faith, that's the fear question. The faith question is, what if this person goes and tells all their friends? Um, so let's, let's ask the, the faith questions, not the fear questions. All right, let's finish out the passage. Uh, verse 18. So they, so they begin to beg Jesus to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat. Uh, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. All right. So this man, he asked to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, but what I want you to do is go tell everyone in your community, everyone that you know what I have done for you, the mercy that I've had for you. And, you know, who, who would believe this guy, honestly? Like, just imagine this being your testimony. Yeah, I was living in the tombs in the mountains and cutting myself every single day, screaming in torment. I had over 2,000 demons. And, you know, I, I met Jesus and bam, all of a sudden my life's completely different. That, that's a crazy story. Who, who's going to believe this guy? And, but with, when it comes to evangelism, evangelism isn't just a mutual acceptance or agreement of facts, okay? It, what it, it's really about sharing our story. And don't be too afraid to share 
your story. This man is actually, if, if, if you think about it, he's actually the first missionary sent out by Jesus. He's like, look, I'm actually going to go over here, but I want you to stay here and, and in a way plant a church for me. Okay? And so we're, we're, as we wrap up here, I just want to take a look. We actually know this isn't quite the end of the story, even though Mark moves on. He goes into the healing of, of, uh, of the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter. Flip your Bible quickly to Matthew chapter 14. And this is where that geography comes into play just a little bit. In verse 34, it said, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so Jesus returns to the same region. And now instead of the people driving him away, they gladly accept him. They're excited to see him. They bring their friends to, to come be touched. And just let us touch the fringe of his garment. Look at the, so this one man, this demon possessed man, he obeyed the call of Jesus and look at the fruit. You know, we will bear incredible fruit that lasts when we embrace the same values, the same worldview as Jesus. When it comes to, you know, bearing fruit is the words that the Bible uses because it's, it's so much more meaningful and different from getting results. Okay, so you can, you can bear fruit or you can get results. So results are great. But the difference between results and fruit is that fruit carries in it its own seed and therefore it's able to reproduce itself. And so with our lives as Christians, we don't, because if, if we only produce results as Christians, we might make other Christians, we might, but then it ends. Then it ends and then it's done. But if we can bear fruit, we can make, we can help others become Christians, who help others become Christians, who help others become Christians. Um, and same with the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We become patient, and we can become more patient, and we can help others to become patient. And it, it's this bearing fruit is so much more impactful than just simply getting results. And so remember that go, go out to Jesus from afar before the appointed time comes. Remember the, the, the three P's of Jesus, the power, the unpredictability, and possessions. And don't let those things get in the way of following him. Ask the, the faith questions, not the fear questions. And lastly, tell your story. Don't be afraid. Your story is probably not as crazy as this guy. Your story, you know, you might feel like your story is not that impactful. You don't have a story to tell. That, don't let Satan lie to you like that. You have a story to tell. Share your story and learn, and, and learn this lesson from the demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes.